Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. And if you're familiar with coming into Samuel's story, uh, you'll see, you'll, you, and if you're familiar with Samuel himself, who was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, judge of Israel, he was also a prophet, and uh, he was an incredibly faithful man. And, uh, but the story doesn't, uh, doesn't start off with Samuel. It starts off with, uh, with his father and with his mother. And, uh, and the primary focus is, in fact, uh, not so much on his father, but on his mother, Hannah. And uh, by the way, Samuel was a remarkable man, a remarkable man of faith. And I believe what we're going to see here today and what we can understand and what we can uh, point out, this observation, is that we can often trace the faith of remarkable children to the faith of their remarkable mothers. We can often trace the faith of remarkable children to the faith of their remarkable mothers. And so it is with uh, this woman as well who presents one of the uh, most striking characters in the Bible. Um, uh, one preacher observed it this way, that the, uh, the spiritual powerhouse in this narrative was really a socially impotent woman who alone understood the true power of undivided faith in the Lord. And there's a lot that, there's a lot that we can say about Hannah, and there's a lot that we can say about her. But at the time, there was one fact that dominated her entire existence. There was one fact that, that, that overcame everything else that, that, that was really the most prevalent here. And the most dominant fact is that her womb was closed. The Bible tells us that in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 2, Hannah had no children. The very end of chapter 1, verse 2, it tells us that Hannah had no children. And sometimes we wonder how God is involved in all of this. And, and Lord, and, and, and we know so many ladies who struggle with this and struggle with not being able to have children. And we wonder, God, how are you involved in all of this? But in Hannah's case, we know. Because if you look at the end of verse 5, we can see what happened, what's going on with this. It says, the Lord closed her womb. The Lord closed her womb. And so sometimes we wonder why God brings trials in the lives of his people. And there are a lot of reasons that we can think of. Um, uh, um, often God, God allows trials and God brings trials into our lives to stimulate our faith. But in the case of Hannah, I think there's more than just her. I believe this is... the. There's a bigger story going on here. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a, at a big picture of this, and then we're going to zoom down in and look at Hannah. So we're going to, we're going to do a couple of things, a, a, a big picture, a 30,000 feet view, and then we're going to look at specifically Hannah. Um, so first off, uh, the, the, God includes this story of Hannah here in the Bible to, uh, uh, to point us to something bigger that was going on. Uh, Hannah's womb was closed, by the way, uh, because it was a reminder to Israel that he had also caused that people to be spiritually barren because of their idolatry and unbelief. Israel, uh, in the Old Testament times, was God's barren wife. They had failed to give him any uh, children of faith that he desired. 
And as a nation, uh, their, their, their particular barrenness kind of manifested itself in the, in the lack of a strong king. If you read through uh, Samuel, if you read through Judges, you'll see that they wanted a king, they wanted a king, they wanted a king. And no one was, was really spiritual enough until David comes along to be able to do so. And so uh, uh, this, the situation with Elkanah's family, Elkanah, by the way, is the husband of Hannah. Um, Elkanah is the husband of Hannah. And so uh, we see this as a parable of Israel's situation. Uh, Hannah's anxiety over not having any children. Uh, even though Elkanah loved her, as we'll look at in just a little bit, it parallels Israel's anxiety uh, for having no king in spite of God's love and God's care for them. And so what God is going to be showing to us through Hannah is relevant for every Christian. It's true for, it's true for every Christian who seems to be barren. It's true for barren churches, as the church in the West, especially here in America, is. They can, we can largely be considered to be barren, church, barren churches who bear very little disciples. Throughout the 20th and even into the 21st century, the church has shrank quite a bit. And the result is, is because a lot of us are not active in making disciples individually. We're not active in making disciples. You know, God is blessing Watkins Chapel Baptist Church right now. And we and to that we say amen because he is. But we have to remember that God can give and that God can take away. In fact, um, uh, God's doing a blessing here. And, 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 and I just learned yesterday that we were one of the fastest growing here in Johnston County. Not, not promoting ourselves because all we're doing is just trying to preach, preach the gospel and make disciples. But, what, but the bigger picture of that is, is that nearly 25% of, church, of churches just in Johnston County are plateaued and nearly half of them are declining. So what's going on with all the churches? We're not making disciples. We've become spiritually barren. And so as we continue in Hannah's story, I want us to look at this and look at this big picture because what she's going to do is that she's going to model uh, for us a grace-seeking prayer that you and I need to offer to God. This mother who was desperate for, God, desperate for God's blessing, she trusted in the only one who could give that blessing. And she didn't trust that God was simply going to give her a son. Um, she desired that. She just trusted that God was God, which is what you and I need to do. In the opening verses, let's look at this. Verse 3. We see this man named Elkanah. And this man, Elkanah, he went up year by year from the, from the city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. So let me give you a little background on this. On, on this. Shiloh was the, place, was the location of the tabernacle. And, uh, and the Ark of the Covenant in Elkanah's time, this is where they went to give the, the yearly sacrifices. Uh, Eli was not very an impressive uh, spiritual leader. He was not a very impressive priest. And his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were as wicked as could be. And they, make a, and they made a mockery of what they were doing. If you read on into chapter 2, you can see what happens to them. 
Uh, Elkanah didn't go to Shiloh then so to see Eli. Elkanah didn't go to Shiloh to see his sons because they really weren't worth seeing. Elkanah came to Shiloh. Elkanah came to God's house to come before the Lord and to renew the covenant that he made before the Lord. Elkanah did what you and I have to do. He prioritized God's place in his life and he gave attention to, to the Lord. We don't know how much of religion that Elkanah did know. I mean, he was, he, after all, he did have two wives, as verse 2 tells us. And so he, there were some issues there, but he did know enough that he was supposed to come as a sinner seeking grace from God. And this is how salvation begins for any barren soul. This is how salvation for, begins for any one of us. It begins with realizing that you and I have to get right with God. It begins with you and I realizing that we are sinners. It begins with you and I realizing that we have to come before Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who was slain, and seek forgiveness through his blood and seek renewal through his grace. That's how, we, that's how any of us are saved. And for those who are Christian and those who have been struggling in sin, that's how spiritually bearing Christians come back to the cross. We come back to the Lord. We confess our sin and we confess our spiritual neglect, if we have any, before the Lord. And we find cleansing and acceptance through him. That's an amazing thing, too. And this is what God wanted from Israel. A sincere, repentant people seeking after him and seeking after his grace. And here we come to Hannah. Hannah. Hannah was a faithful mother in the midst of affliction. And that's the point I'm going to be really driving home for the rest of the time today. Hannah was a faithful mother in the midst of affliction. Because, let's face it, motherhood is messy. Parenthood is messy. My, do you have a shirt, or we, or we just looked at it that uh, says that you're the chaos coordinator? I have the shirt. You have the shirt, okay. So there's a shirt that my wife wears that uh, uh, that's called that she's called the chaos coordinator, because there's no perfect book, or excuse me, there's there, there, there's no one perfect at parenting. There's a perfect book that tells us how to be that, but we're not perfect at following it. There's no there's no perfect parent, and it can be messy. And things can be a struggle. And Hannah had this struggle too. I don't think the entire theology of, of, of what's going on with Israel was on Hannah's heart. I think just the fact that she was struggling was what was bearing on her the most. I mean, as we see in verse 2, uh, Samuel had two wives. The name of one of them was Hannah, and the other was Peninnah. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, polygamy is seen frequently throughout the Old Testament, but it was, but it, but it was not the norm, and it was not God's prescribed, uh, prescribed uh, uh, way of marriage. The book of Genesis makes it clear that God designed marriage to be, to be between one man and between one woman. And it's a definition that's been confirmed by Jesus Christ. Marriage is between one man and one woman. And so, and so this polygamy that was going on here uh, was, uh, was probably provoked by Hannah's inability to have any children, which, 
at that time, for a for a male not to have children, it 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 really promoted some economic hardship that could come, and it would cut off his name and cut off his lineage. We don't we don't worry so much about that now, but this is what this was a major concern then. And so, like Abraham, and like Jacob, and like several other of the uh, of the other um, early patriarchs, Elkanah takes this second wife to give him uh, some children. But he takes this second wife so he could have some children. But he but his affection remains on the first wife. So you can see whether there's some problems there now, right, and fellas? That's something we, you and I can't do. That's something our wives wouldn't tolerate. She ain't sharing her man with anybody else. She may not like you all the time, but she ain't sharing you. And so this divide that was taking place between Elkanah and Hannah... Um, it, uh, you can see it actually coming out in, in their names. Uh, by, Hannah's name, by the way, means gracious. And Penina, her name means prolific. And if you're like, well, what does prolific mean? It means that she was blessed to have children. Um, there's a simple, uh, the simplest definition for you. And so this polygamy was causing some serious conflict, especially when one wife receives affection and the other one receives children. And so this discord in Elkanah's house, uh, this discord that was taking place between, uh, between both of the wives, uh, there's a, what we need to be careful of, of the, is, the, is the dissension that can happen even in the church. We, and it shows us the importance of how you and I should be unified as a church family. And not, and not having any divisions among us. Let no divisions be among you, the Apostle Paul said. And it wasn't easy for Hannah. It wasn't simply because uh, there was a difference there. It was one who was kind of prodding the other. Look at verse 6. It says, her rival, Hannah's rival, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. Because the Lord had closed her womb. I mean, Hannah's trial is familiar with, with, even, with ladies even today who struggle with children and who struggle with childbearing. Um, Hannah never had the thrill of being able to tell her husband that she was pregnant. They never had the thrill of being able to have the gender reveal parties. She never had the thrill of being able to find out if it's a boy or if, it's, or if the baby's a girl. She never had the thrill of being able to find any of that out. Whenever she went down to the marketplace or whenever she showed socialized with other families and whenever she would hear go to church and she would hear the sound of babies the very sound that she desired the most plunge into her heart like a knife. And to the Hebrews, it was a sign of God's disfavor. But I think you, but you and I need to remember this, that affliction is not always a sign of God's disfavor. Affliction is not always a sign of God's disfavor. The Hebrews thought so for, for Hannah, though. But it, it, it's cruel and almost always unwarranted to assume that someone's affliction, that someone's suffering, is a sign that God is, is, is dissatisfied with them. Uh, throughout the book of Job, we see uh, that, uh, that his friends were continuously coming to him. Job, you've obviously done something to make God angry at you. 
Why would God allow any of this to happen to you if, if God wasn't angry at you? God's got to be angry at you over something. And we find out, and we know by looking at, by reading from the beginning of the story and reading through through it, that it's not God angry with Job. It's the Lord allowing Satan to do this as a test to Job. Affliction is not an indicator of disfavor. But Penina would continue to go at it. Penina would continue to, to, to press and to press and to press against Hannah in this. And what we need to be aware of is that Elkanah, uh, as it said, he would go year after year, verse 3, from this city to worship and to sacrifice the Lord of hosts. And he would take, he, he would take his wives with him, Hannah and Penina, and uh, we need to uh, take a look at this and to remember that, uh, that, that the fact that Elkanah's wife, Penina, would conduct herself in, that, in, in this kind of way, even during a visit to church, remind, should remind you and me that, that an outward show of religion without an inward devotion could be a mask for the most spiteful of heart. That we need to, that, that, uh, that true religion goes deep to the heart. That uh, putting on the mask of religion isn't going to get you anywhere. It's going to get you uh, an eternity of being known as the one who faked it all those years. Just as Penina here. She went to church all these years and, went, and I wonder how many people were, uh, were, uh, were, were deceived by thinking that she was blessed when in fact she was behind the scenes causing strife. And year after year, Christians read about Penina and we see what she's done. See what, she's probably, see what she did in the dark. Uh, friends, what happens in the dark comes out in the light. What we do in the dark comes out in the light. And, and at the time, she probably felt victorious and she probably felt felt triumphant. She was the one who could have children, and Hannah couldn't, and Hannah couldn't have any children, and, and so she probably felt like she was the better one. And so she would pick at Hannah and pick at Hannah and pick at Hannah. Uh, to the point that the Bible says in verse 7, it went on year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. And therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. In the very place where hope should reign, in the very place where she feels she would find solace and comfort, the house of God, Hannah experienced only, only depression and distress. And we need to remember this, Christians, that even if it's not intentional, that the, that the church can sometimes be the most depressing place for those who feel singled out by their trials. It can seem like the most depressing place for those who who feel like uh, who who have who, who feel ashamed by trials they cannot help, and so it drives them away from the place that they most need to be. I've met so many parents, by the way, who've stopped coming to church because of a sinful decision that their children have made. You and I need to be so mindful of that, and not then and not the fact that we're not, 
But uh, that's something that we have to be extra careful about and extra mindful about that, uh, that uh, parents may feel, and, or even children or whomever may feel, like even though that nothing has been said, that because something has, seems shameful, then they'll withdraw themselves. And this shame or guilt it ends up fleshing itself out exactly the opposite way that it should. So here's what we do. Whether you're in the affliction or whether you know someone who's afflicted, here's what you do. And here's the signs of hope for Hannah. Number one, trust in the fact that God's in control. Trust in the fact that God is in control. No matter what you, no matter what you find yourself in, no matter, what, uh, no matter where uh, you see someone else to, to be, trust in the fact and encourage others to trust in the fact that God is in control. Look at this right here. Hannah, he, Hannah uh, Elkanah gave a double portion in 1 Samuel 5 because he loved her. Look at this, though. The Lord closed her womb. Hannah was not barren for no reason. Hannah was not barren for just because, just because it, was, it was something wrong with her body. There was something that was going on here. It says the Lord closed her womb. And you know, that can cause a lot of resentment, can it? That could, those, those words could cause a lot of, could, could be the roots of a lot of resentment to the Lord, but we need to be careful of that because, so, in, because, so instead of resenting God's sovereignty in our trials and his control over our situation, that should lift up our hearts because our God has proved that he is faithful and that he is loving by sending his son to die for us and that he is in control of our situation. He was the known, he was known in Hannah's day as the God who delivered Israel from the bondage of Egypt. He was the God who was known, who was mighty in securing them the promised land. So rather than assuming that God is doing this because of some sort of sin, we need to remember that God is holy and that all his deeds are holy, including the fact that God closing her womb was the act of a holy God. It was a holy act. And so all of his deeds are holy because he is. And we need to remember, remember that God is good. And so he intends our sorrows to be for good. And that God is filled with mercy for the brokenhearted. He's not seeking to destroy his people through trials, but to save them through it. And so as Hannah herself would later say in 1 Samuel 2.8, he raises up the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. So if God is the one, by the way, who closed the womb, you and I should take heart that he can surely also open it. That if God has allowed some affliction to come into your life or if God has brought testing to you, then God is the one who's going to help you get through it. God is going to be the one that helps you walk through it. Whatever affliction that is, as David said in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. So whatever, that, so whatever it is that you face, know that God is in control. You know, we may never know how God... In how many ways God has worked through our most bitter trials. We may never know how, how, how much God has worked through us to equip us. We may never know how much he's done so. 
But we do know this. And the Bible tells us this and reassures us this, that God works all things for good for those who love him. So whatever you're facing, whatever Hannah, everything that Hannah was facing here, God was working it out for good. Secondly, not only trust that God is in control, but also be present with those who are suffering. Be present with those who are suffering. Look at this in verse 8. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why are you not eating? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Now that wording can get a little uh, can get a little precarious, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But before we turn even to his words, I want us to look at, uh, look at the fact and not overlook the fact that Hannah went to her. He saw her. Elkanah went went to her, uh, and he saw her weeping, and he saw her in distress, and he saw her hurting. Yeah, you know how comforting is it just to have someone with you when you're hurting? They don't have to say anything. You may not even know what to say when you're with someone who's, who's hurting. But the fact that you're there helps a ton. But when Elkanah did speak to her, look at me. He made this essential point that he loved her so much. And that this inability that she had didn't sour his love for her. It didn't turn away his love for her. That no matter if others scorned her, no matter how much Penina uh, uh, did all of this to her, that her husband was with her. Now we can throw in the questions of polygamy and all of this. And I mentioned that uh, the polygamy was done to carry on the family name. Um, and it wasn't right. Uh, by any means, we don't. We're not going to excuse that. Um, but at the same time, we need to. We we do need to see that Elkanah loved her, and the Bible is very clear that he loved her. And Elkanah, Elkanah reminded her that she was that she wasn't going to lose his love. You know, as is typical of men, by the way, we do see the wording here. He said, am I not more to you than ten sons? Uh, typical of men who are sometimes, uh, we, we get a little inept at deciphering our, our, our wives' hearts. Um, his, uh, the words there can draw some criticism. And you probably could consider it maybe a little self-centered. He says, am I not more than, to you than ten sons? It sounds a little like, wait a minute. Okay, now what are you talking about here? And while I don't think his words were ill-intentioned, um, there, the, there may have been a better way for him to say this. Uh, maybe he could have said, you're worth more to me than ten sons. Maybe he could have said, uh, Hannah, I love you more than anything, and, 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 and the inability to have children means is, it doesn't change how I think about you. But at any rate, the message that he was delivering to her uh, it, it was to assure her that he was devoted to her. And it'll often be, by the way, that, uh, that even the most well-meaning friends uh, may not know what to say, and they may say it imperfectly. 
And I'm sure you've been in a situation, we all have been in a situation where we're trying to offer words of comfort and the words of comfort ended up just causing more harm than good. Or someone said something to you um, that, uh, that, that, were, that were meant to be encouraging. Instead, they uh, kind of came across as like, oh, that was awkward, that was weird. Um, I'll use this example, and my wife has told this story, so I'm not going to, uh, she's told this story publicly, so I'm not, going, I'm not embarrassing her. Well, I might embarrass her. Anyway. She was, uh, she was pregnant. She, we had discovered that she was pregnant with Abby. And uh, we were in, we, we had announced it to the church, Mr. Roger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, Mr. Roger uh, comes up. He says, you're pregnant? My goodness, I thought you were gaining a little weight. <laughs> <laughs> he was excited. And, uh, and, and he... he, he he wanted her to know that he noticed something. But yet, bless his heart. That's the Southern Baptist thing to say. The Southern thing to say, bless his heart. And that's what he said. Unfortunately, that was not uh, what, uh, what he intended. But yeah, and that happens. And by the way, that's happened to all of us. We've all, been, we've all probably been on the receiving side and at times on the giving side of all of that. So it, it's happened to every single one of us. Um, but what we need to see, even through the wording of all of that, is, is, that, uh, is that Elkanah loved his wife, and that you and I need to just sometimes just need to be there with people and provide those words of encouragement, even if they don't come out perfectly. Provide those words of encouragement. But the one thing that you and I need to remember, even more than that, is that, there, that even more than, than, than others who can comfort us, is, this, is that there is one whose comfort does not fail, that his words are never incorrect. And that his love is never in error. And this was Hannah's hope: is to lay is is it, it was it lied in the Lord and in the reality that she had not, in fact, given up her faith in the Lord. And so, as great as Elkanah's love for for Hannah was, and it was, there was a greater love than than, than Elkanah's, and it was from uh, from a comforter who could do what her husband never could. It was one who could answer Hannah's plea and grant the desire of her heart. And sometimes we suspect that a broken heart like like Hannah's heart would have little concern over any theology or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's at times like these that we need that we most need the truths that we've learned about God. Hannah at this time needed to remember the Lord and she needed to remember his promises. She needed to know God's character. She needed to know God's ways. I think there's a good reason to suspect that while Hannah's heart wept, she was thinking about what she learned about God from Scripture. Now, maybe she remembered how God um, so often granted very special sons through a barren womb. She certainly would have known about Sarah, who was well if I'm not mistaken, she was, she was well up there in age, near 80 years old when she had her first son. Maybe she remembered Rebecca. Rebecca. 
Maybe she remembered Jacob's wife, Rachel. And then, and in remembering all of that, she knew that God could do something incredible. Not that God would. She, did, she probably didn't know at the time that God was going to do something. You know, in our afflictions, we, we know we, our trust and hope lies in the fact that God's in control of it. Not necessarily that God's going to get us out of it. There may be afflictions that you and I face to the very end of our lives. But the one thing that we can trust is that even through this, God is in control in the midst of it. And, it, and, and, and the answer to our prayer of getting me out of this may not be until you get to heaven. But, and that's the truth, that when you get to heaven, that is the ultimate rescue from the affliction. And so we need to remember that, 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 that yes, God answered Hannah's prayer here. He did. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to answer all of our prayers the very same way. But here's the prayer that God does answer. The prayer of repentance pleading for God's grace because God saves by grace. God saves by grace. And the prayer that God answered for, for, uh, for Hannah here, he did give her children. But even more than that, even, and what I, what I want us to see even, that's even bigger than that is that is that God caused her barren womb to bear children just as he causes the lifeless heart to believe. God calls his people not to trust in in human wisdom or human ability or effort or even despair in the apparent failure, but to simply trust in him. He's the one who gives life to, to dead. He's the one who gives salvation to the lost. Hannah's affliction was not simply to pray to God to give you something that you want. Her affliction, like anyone that you and I face, was a call to have faith in God. Her weakness was a call to be reliant on God's power. Her, the, the failure that she, that, that she felt that she was experiencing in her body was a call to trust in God. And her grief was a call to just seek out God's grace. God saves by grace. And lastly, what we need to remember is that our hope is in the greatest love of all. Our hope is in the greatest love of all. As grateful as Hannah's love for her husband may be, her hope lied in that of Jesus. Her hope lied in that of the Lord, the one who she knew was through the years and through the centuries was faithful, the one who was powerful, the one who was gracious. In mine and your, our true hope, through all the trials that you, that you and I may face, through the trials that we may face, that, 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 as similar as they may or may not be to Hannah's, in all those trials, and especially in the burden of our guilt of sin, is that the same God, the same God who revealed himself to Hannah, the same God who blessed Hannah here, is the same God that raises dead sinners to life through salvation. The same God that you and I serve today was the same God here. The same God who brought Christ to life is the one who brings dead hearts to life. The very same God 
who answered Hannah's prayer was the one who sent his only son to die. Showing us that, as the Bible says, nothing is impossible for God. There was one pastor who put it this way. When God's people are without strength, without resources, without hope, without human gimmicks, then God loves to stretch forth his hand from heaven. When we feel like we're at the bottom of the barrel, just as Hannah felt. That's a moment when we can do nothing but reach up to God. And God loves to reach his hand down from heaven then. And once we see where God begins and where he often begins, that's when you and I can really see how he's working and how we can be encouraged through that. And as King David said to himself in Psalm 43, verse 5, he said, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you cast down? Why do you turn? Why do you? Why are you in turmoil within me? My soul. Hope in God. Though this affliction is momentary, I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God. So this is a mother's faithful heart in the midst of affliction. This is the faithful heart that you and I should have in the midst of affliction.